Being O-Line Media presents the history of being Black. Welcome to another episode of the history of being Black. I am Eunice Elliott. And as you have come to learn and love about this particular podcast is that it's never just me. I think you would love it if it was just me, but I think you love that I always have someone interesting and dynamic to join us. And this is a friend now of the program. He's been with us before. We have Ty Allen Jackson back with us, who is the greatest children's book author of all time. Welcome back to the show, Ty Allen Jackson. That definitely sounded very Muhammad Ali. You know, I can I, I, I can envision him pointing his finger down at Ken Norton and George Foreman. I'm the greatest of all time. Like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm digging that. Well, it's true. It's true. I read it on your website. First of all, please tell me uh, you are a children's book author, but not just a children's book author. You are the greatest children's book author of all time. But I want you to tell us how we can actually purchase your books. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for that from, from the beginning as well. Um, well, first place that you can go to is my website, which is tyallenjackson.com. That's T-Y-A-L-L-A-N jackson.com. Uh, but I'm also, unlike many indie authors, I'm a fan of Amazon. They've uh, done a really great job in getting my work out there. I actually make more money via Amazon than I do via my website. So I'm pro-Amazon. You know, I, I hate the thought that my money is having Jeff Bezos flying up the space, but you know, right. it, is, it is it is what it is. But he's it, that platform that's exposed my book to, to millions of, of, not tens of thousands, if not maybe millions of people around the country, if not the world. And so I'm grateful for that platform. So whether you go to my website or go to Amazon, I'm cool with it. Uh, I always say about Amazon, two things can be true. I can hate it and love it all yes. at the same time. It's a great way to put it. <laughs> Both of those things are true. So one of your uh, books, you have a series, uh, Danny Dollar. And Danny Dollar is a little boy who is all about the money and financial literacy. And could you tell me about um, the importance of why Danny Dollar exists and what you've seen uh, this character be able to do since you've been publishing these books and putting them out into the world? Sure. Thank you for asking, first of all, and thank you for having me. You know, I grew up as an impoverished kid on welfare until I was a teenager. Uh, my mom had me at 15 years old, and we never discussed money at, at the dinner table, in part because there was never really any money to discuss. And, you know, I, I, I like to think that for so many kids, especially in disenfranchised, low-income Black communities, that they're not having that conversation about money that they need to have so that there is at least a basic introduction for them as they're growing up in, into the world. And certainly once they become older and start having to learn how to deal with money, um, the, we basically, we don't know how it works. We don't know the, how it, the, the understanding of, of, of how it's such an amazing tool to enhance the quality of our life instead of just a tool to to throw away at, at, at Gucci and, and Prada and other things like that. So I wanted Danny Dollar to be that conversation um, for, for kids to be able to, to look within this character and find an, an education, in essence, to, um, to figure out exactly what is money and how it works. But I also wanted them to have a, a role model that gives them the, the foresight of, of being able to become their own version of, of Danny Dollar. Well, when I was a kid, George Jefferson was my was my role model. He's mm -hmm. He was an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was until I saw this black man who looked like my uncle as an entrepreneur. And like that fascinated me so much. And so, you know, I didn't want I, I, I don't want our young kids looking towards, uh, you know, a celluloid entrepreneur that's, you know, out of their age range. I want them to be able to look at this character who's only 11 years old and is their peer and is, is making money right now because they're absolutely capable of making their own money right this very moment and certainly learning on how to make it 
for themselves and how to make it grow as they grow older. So you mentioned disenfranchised and Black folks historically have been disenfranchised in this particular country. When I think of literacy and financial literacy, I think those are two obviously extremely important tenets of being successful in being able to be uh, sustainable in this society. So when we think back to uh, when it was illegal for Black folks to know how to read, can you talk to me about you know, really, you you uh, attract uh, an audience of young people, potentially brown people, potentially non-brown people, potentially people who know about money, potentially people who don't know about money with this one character, Danny Dollar. But historically, going all the way back to when it was illegal for Black folks to learn how to read the power of what it means just for literacy and seeing a brown kid might make a brown kid read a book. You know, it, 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 as deep as that is to think that a hundred and so 50 years ago, that if you knew how to read, you could be legally killed. Mm-hmm. And um, like, like as disheartening as that is, if we even fast forward today, uh, when, when my book, Danny Dollar, first came out, the percentage of, of books featuring black children were in the single digit. I think, I think 4% of all children's books published 10 years ago featured a black child. There were more books about animals than there were about black children. And basically, you know, if, if you don't create the vessel for children to be able to see themselves, they won't gravitate to it. So there isn't much difference from 150 years ago from making books illegal to today where you don't feature children of color for them to be able to see and gravitate to it. The results are almost the same. Kids are just not going to read because they don't see the value or they see themselves depicted in it. So it's so vitally important for kids not to just see themselves reflected in literature, but for, the, for them to see it in a really contemporary way, speaking their language. There are plenty of me and Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Underground Railroads and, and Frederick Douglass, and those things are of extreme value. But if we're going to speak today's language to today's child who's on social media, who's on TikTok, who's on uh, um, uh, video games and and speaking a very contemporary language, we've got to upgrade and update the characters that they're going to emulate in literature if we're going to get, if we have a fighting chance for them to read. But it's, it's, it's disheartening that this is the country that we are in. It, it hasn't done as the justice of creating characters of color to not for not just for young black kids or young kids of color to be able to see themselves, but for also young white kids to be able to see these characters as well and 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 find them as peers. So um, I know it's one of the reasons why this work that I'm doing is very important because it allows kids of all races to be able to see these kids and want to emulate them. And I think that that's how we gravitate our kids to reading. So you've mentioned on a previous episode that your mother really exposed you and your brother to books and would go to the library and get books. Speak directly to our listeners more than likely are probably not young people or children. They're probably people who have their own kids and their kids probably are on their phones or on the video games. Talk to me about like if just you had to say to a parent, why it's still so important for your for you to make books accessible to your children and, and encourage them to read? Because books are gateways to life. Uh, Books are adventure, their imagination, their foresight, their fantasy. It's it's impossible for our kids to dream a big dream unless we exercise their mind to be able to do so. And so books are that gateway. There is no other platform in entertainment. And, And I could argue that there's no greater force other than love 
that we need to instill our, to our children other than the gift of literacy. There is no other element that is going to expand their mind and their horizons and take them out of the elements that they're already in than literature. And so it's essential for, for not only there to be books of color for our kids to want to emulate, but also for parents to be able to bring these books to their attention and if not more importantly, to model the importance of reading in their own home. Because as James Baldwin once said that, and I paraphrase, is that children never listen to their parents, but they also never fail to emulate them. So if the parents are not being diligent and reading and role modeling the importance of reading, then the kids are not going to do it either. So it's essential for the growth and development for all of our children to be able to pick up a book. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I am such an advocate of kids going out to play, playing video games, being on social media. I 100% want our kids to be cemented in everything that matters in pop culture. We have to make books part of that narrative. Like that has to be included into the conversation. It can't be used as a punishment. It can't be used even as a tool of academia. To my opinion, books need to be introduced to our children as a form of entertainment, of fun, of imagination, of reward. And, um, and I think the more that we do that, the more that our kids are going to gravitate to it. Okay, so let's talk about emulating what our parents do. Okay, so let's say you're talking directly to our listeners and they don't read. And it's not because they wouldn't want to read. They just don't have the time or they haven't read since they graduated college. Like how, how can you trick an adult into reading? <laughs> because I'm one of those people that I read so much, I'm reading like eight books at a time at all times, you know, so I'll get distracted. I'll get busy. So if as a person who loves to read, but very rarely makes the amount of time I should make available, to do it. Talk to me about that. Well, first of all, we all have the time because every parent here has an Instagram and has a Facebook page. And if they went and looked at their times that they're spending on it, I guarantee no, you- No, I don't want to look at that. Apple actually sends yeah, me exactly everything right. I've been on there. <laughs> yeah, right. It's us lying to ourselves that we don't have time. We all have the time. But I also say, listen, you, you, we have to get out of the habit of thinking like, you know, I want to lose 10 pounds, so I'm going to go run a marathon. No, why don't you just run around the block? You know, like, so when it comes to introducing the, the power of reading, one, don't choose war and peace and don't think you have to read for an hour every day. 10, 15 minutes is sufficient. Like, you know, to donate 15 minutes of your time and what I constantly say is building value in who you are. There isn't a person in here that doesn't want to grow and develop and be better, whether it's through your diet, whether it's through your fitness and whether it's through your, 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 your academia. It's, it's all about just educating ourselves and empowering ourselves. And if we're not willing to invest 15 minutes a day to read five pages a day to invest into our health, our welfare, not even just for us, but into our children, then I think we've got some bigger issues at play. And I was like, you know, find really unique, fun places to read, like create a little place, a little nook buy a little lamp just specifically for you, get a little chaise lounge where you do it. Or I keep books on the toilet. I'm not even kidding. I Maybe this is a little more information. No, listen, that, that's a great place to get a read in. I, I put books, I purposefully, when I go to the bathroom first thing in the morning, I leave my phone in the bedroom or in the living room and I pick up a book and I might read a page or two just you know while I'm sitting on the toilet. And I think if you were to read this 365 days in a year, if you read one page, Every single day, the average book is less than 365. You can knock out a page and a book and a half 
every year just on the toilet. Like, you know, and, and keep books in your car. So when you're sitting there watching the kids for soccer practice, keep a book, you know, in your office when you've got 10 minutes to kill because of, of whatever. You know, just little micro readings really matter. And you're, you're, you're instilling joy and power into yourself. Not to mention, let's face it, the biggest secret in the world to me is that books are the greatest form of entertainment there is. Almost every movie you've seen is derived from a book. Almost every television show you've seen is derived from a book, you know, and it, it, including superheroes. I love, I'm a huge superhero fan. Well, superhero movies wouldn't exist without comic books and comic books count as reading. So I also say that it's a great, one of the fun things I did with my kids, like when the next Spider-Man movie would come out, we would go to the bookstore and get some Spider-Man books and read them prior to the actual thing. We did the same thing for The Wizard of Oz. We did the same thing for Shrek. We did the same thing for Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. We did the same thing for, you know, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. So one of the tricks that I played with my, my kids is that when I knew a movie was coming out and I knew there was a book to the movie, we'd go get the book first. We'd read the book and then we compare afterwards. And just having that parallel created a fun dynamic and a form of, you know, a, a form of play to, um, to introduce my kids to the importance of reading. I, lo- I really love that idea. Let me say, you have validated when I tell people I've written an adult book and I always say it's one toilet sitting, I promise. And so people are like, what? I'm like, I promise you, it is one trip. <laughs> you can finish this if you just focus. Right. But I love that idea of all of these movies and the, the Marvels and the DCs and all this stuff that comes out is having your kids read it and having that comparison because that's one of the things I think as adults we do when we go see that movie, we get disappointed in the movie because obviously they've had to leave out so much stuff or they've taken poetic license from the book. And our imaginations usually are so much better than what they actually put on the screen. It's like, you know, you imagine the character or the depths of that character that you went to that when you see that that actor that they put in that place, you're like, no, that's not him. <laughs> I felt that so much in Waiting to Exhale. They really should have let me uh, cast that movie. But anyway... Absolutely. What, so the, the other thing that we have to do as parents, in addition to reading and letting our kids see us read, is like you said, talk about money. Why is it that, you know, it's either you don't talk about money because you have it or you don't talk about money because you don't have it? How can we start having these conversations to educate ourselves, first of all, and also educate our children? I know I never learning how to balance a checkbook in math class, you know, I didn't have an understanding of interest rates and credit cards until I went to college and had a bunch of them maxed out, you know, um, and in credit and how that works. So how do we start introducing those conversations so that they don't seem like, oh, you know, this isn't something we really naturally talk about or it's not polite to talk about? Yeah, there's, there's there's a huge stigma for whatever reason about not talking about money. We don't talk about money at the dinner table. We don't talk about money in the house. Well, I mean, where else would you talk about money if not at the dinner table? There isn't a parent on the planet that I don't think wants to see their child prosper and be successful. And the, the, the gateway to those things are really very simple. It is through literacy and it is through financial literacy and, and combining those two kids. I mean, uh, those two kinds of elements to our children, I think, is, is really important. And I, I, I tell a lot of parents, you know, especially parents from low income communities, you know, did you have that conversation with your parents about money? And they'll say no. And I'm like, well, how do you think that impacted where you are right now at this very moment? And most of them will shake their head and go, it had a tremendous impact because, you know, they're disenfranchised now. I'm like, well, do you want that opportunity for your children? 
And of course, every one of them says no. I'm like, well, you have the power to change that. Like, and just because you don't know doesn't mean that you can't know. And so what, how powerful would it be for you to humble yourself in front of your child and say, you know what? I don't know a lot about socks, but why don't we learn together? Like, why don't we figure this out together? And there are apps that you can, you know, that you can invest five, six, seven, eight, ten bucks just as a gateway to get started. Or, you know, teach your kids even to, to, to mock a stock and just say, you know, we're going to pretend we're going to put $10 in Nike. And like, let's see tomorrow what the stock value of that does and how much more money we would have made if we actually did invest. And just playing those little games like that and introducing kids to the, the concept of making money. There's no kid that doesn't want to be rich. Every kid wants to be rich. The problem is we only give them the pathways of being a hip hop artist or an athlete to get it not knowing that there's actually a better likelihood for them to become an attorney and a, a physician and orthodontist. There are orthodontists that make millions of dollars a year and, um, and enhancing and encouraging them in their gift. Every single one of our children have a gift, whether it's art or architecture or construction and helping them navigate that pathway to, to uh, success. For example, one of my favorite uh, occupations is that of a typographer. Now, what's a typographer? It's a person who basically creates fonts and creates fonts for logos and stuff like that. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Well, how many of our kids love to draw? A lot of them. They don't even know the concept that, that a typographer exists. But you wouldn't know that until you ventured out into your little world and bubble and introduced your children to the world of books that will hopefully and, and, and different occupations that would showcase to them. You can take that same art that you do of graffiti on your wall or, or tagging on your notebook or whatever it is and turn that into a viable, credible and prosperous business. So there's just a, a gazillion and one ways. We just have to stop coming up with a gazillion and one excuses do what we say we're going to do and put our children at the forefront of the most important things in our life and invest in them with our time, our effort and energy, our resources and literature. I agree wholeheartedly. I, I was thinking, I, I don't have children, but I was thinking about a friend of mine years ago. He's a financial advisor and he was very conservative. Uh, he had a lot of professional athletes as his clients and most of his clients hated him because he was so conservative in how he would advise them in their spending. And we went to dinner and his son could not have been more than four or five years old. And he asked his dad for a dollar to go play a game. And the little boy came back five minutes later and he said, that was the way he said, that was a waste of a dollar. Mm. And I said to my friend, how would he know the, how to waste a dollar? Most kids would just come back and say, can I have another one? Or, you know, give me more money. This kid came back and because of the time that he was allowed to play for that dollar, he felt like it was a waste. So I recently spoke to that friend. This kid is now in college. And I said, I always remember that time we went to dinner and he said that was a waste of a dollar. My friend didn't remember his son saying that, but he said that is so funny because he is so financially sound. That is wow. so funny. I don't remember that. I said, he's always been that way. And so I've seen how, because his dad was that way and he was communicating those ideas to his children, they are naturally those type people. And so that's why it is so important for us to communicate those basic ideals about financial literacy, uh, because and, it is yeah. a generational curse. We can, we tend to pass along because our parents didn't do it. And so we don't do it. That's exactly right. You know, I always equate it to playing the piano. I'm, I'm 54. If I tried to learn how to play piano now, it would be disastrous. I probably wouldn't be very good. I'm set in my ways. It's just, but, but if I was introduced to it at four or five, right. 
as a clean slate, it would, I, I would, I would probably be a, you know, a, a pianist in the, at the, at the Met. I, I don't know what the like, benchmark for a, a pianist is. My point is, is that the sooner that we introduce children to the importance and values of money, the more that it's going to carry over with them. Like this young man who understood the value of a dollar and realized when he can make it grow or when they waste it. And I think that's a really powerful story. And I love that you, that you did that. And I also love that this young person is like really financially savvy. I mean, I think it's a, a tribute to having a father or having a parent who is financially sound, instilling those values into his son and those and that son carrying him with him more than likely for the rest of his life. And I guarantee you that generational wealth that I know that kid's going to accumulate is going to translate through his family for generations. So let me ask you, this is probably more on the personal side. You said uh, in an earlier episode, Danny Dollar was inspired by your eight-year-old son at the time uh, when he had a, a lemonade stand and, and made quite a bit of money in a short amount of time. How has his ego been reflected with Danny Dollar being inspired by him? How is he as a young man knowing that he was the inspiration for this successful uh, book series? Yeah, well, once he noticed that I was selling you know, tens of thousands of copies, he's like, Dad, I want 10% of everything you make. <laughs> you wouldn't be anywhere if I didn't ask you that question. So uh, so obviously he's uh, following that Danny Dollar mantra pretty solid. Uh, but, you know, he's he's very proud. Uh, you know, I, I used to work for a company driving a truck. And um, and for my kids to see, you know, me not doing that anymore. And now my, my occupation, my purpose, my joy is to create these books and travel inspire kids and now they're being adapted into series and television shows and financial literacy programs it's a very empowering thing for my kids to see that level of role modelship and it's inspired them to you know the, to really double down on their own path so uh, he particularly is very very proud uh, he's 21 years old now uh, he's an executive chef at a restaurant he's like this one of the most amazing young people I've ever known and um, but uh, but uh, but yeah, I just so, need to know. Did you give him the ten percent though? That's what yeah. I need to know. Listen, that kid's got substantially more than ten percent of everything. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. But think about it. He had that lemonade stand at eight, and so I'm not surprised that he would be an executive chef because we are who we are. So that's beautiful. That's that is really wonderful. So again, we can find your books on your website, tyallenjackson.com. We can also get the Danny Dollar series. And as you mentioned, you have a, a Danny Dollar Academy. It's in different schools all across the country. And so it's so much more than just a book. It's really uh, something that can be used as a tool to help educate the entire family, because I'm sure a lot of the concepts just might not be things that parents are able to communicate or articulate or even think about for themselves sometimes in certain ways. Have you seen that happen where a parent has purchased the book for their child, but they benefited from it as well? All the time. I, 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 I actually get more feedback and letters from parents about uh, how grateful they are to, to have learned a lot about financial literacy through these books, because the, the definitions on what a stock is or, or interest or debt are simplified in such a way that even adults who, you know, one may not be incredibly literate or whether it's through just reading or for financial literacy can understand the concept of what debt, interest, stocks and everything else are from from this character. So so parents are particularly grateful for uh, for this character and um, and also for changing the tone of 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 having this discussion. Like I said before, a lot of parents are feeling very, really insecure about talking about money. 
Um, they're not very knowledgeable about it themselves. And so why would you, you know, showcase something that you know very little about? So to have this book start that conversation, the, the, ch the child in some instances talks to their parent about, you know, where they're standing financially, it, it opens up the door for a conversation that's incredibly necessary for all parties. And, and uh, I'm definitely very proud of that. You should be. Congratulations on that. Now, on the history of being Black, we always like to leave our listeners with action items. And I feel like you've given us quite a few already about emulating, uh, you know, the behavior you would hope your child would take on, not just handing them a book, but read a book. So our listeners can't see you, but the shirt you have on, I'm going to claim your shirt as our Be the Change directive. It's on your website. Tell me what your shirt says and why. So it says read or else. And it's a mantra that I co-founded and uh, because I was going into jails and talking to incarcerated parents about the importance of reading. And in doing so, I did a lot of research in all of the things that are directly connected to illiteracy, from poverty to unemployment to teen pregnancy and drug use. Most of the things that ail our country are directly connected to illiteracy. So in other words, read or else. And so I put that mantra on a t-shirt and it just took off like wildfire. We've sold thousands of garments, but I wanted it to be more than just a mantra. So I wanted to actually put that mantra to work. So with every purchase, we send a copy of my book, Danny Dollar, to a, title, a child in a Title I school or in a homeless shelter. And so if we sell 50 t-shirts or hoodies, we'll send 50 books. And so um, I, I feel like it's a, a really powerful uh, message. When people see it, they absolutely get it. And the fact that it's doing this work and putting books into the hands of kids makes it even more powerful. I love it. And the shirt and hoodie are both available on tyallenjackson.com as yes, well. Are. All right. But that's our action items. We're going to the website where we will see you proclaim yourself as the best children's book author in the world. Ooh. And we can also get our read or else shirt or hoodie. And we know we are still supporting a greater cause. So we are all into it. We really appreciate you being a friend of the history of being black tie. And hopefully uh, you'll come back and talk to us more because as you mentioned, literacy is the linchpin to so many other areas that especially affect our communities uniquely. So, and most of the time detrimentally. So, so hopefully you'll find some time to come back and hang out with us here. All I need is an invite. Thank you so much for having me. It's an open invitation. Welcome back anytime. As far as our listeners, thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode. And until next time, make sure you take care of yourselves. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on IG and Twitter at History of Being Black. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion media production.